Well, good morning, church. How are you? Man, I do enjoy worshiping with you guys. It's a joy. Uh, last night, uh, I was preaching a, a disciple now in Enterprise, Alabama. Uh, and as I was walking out of the room to start driving back late last night, I, I got to see just an entire youth group filling an altar. Uh, we had seen students come to faith in Jesus Christ, even students who had expressed a desire to uh, follow the Lord in a call in full-time ministry, but just to see a ton of other students to say, man, I want the Lord to be first in my life. I'm going to lay down, surrender all that I have to him. It was an amazing thing to be in a worship moment like that, and I enjoy being able to share similar moments with you here today. So I'm glad that you've come, glad that you're here. Uh, hey, listen, before we jump in for today, got uh, one quick thing to, to let you know about that's going to be happening in two weeks. Uh, we actually announced this last year, but we're now uh, ready for uh, an official vote. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, we have been praying about uh, new elder nominees. Uh, if you are not familiar with the structure of our church, if you didn't have this at a church uh, where you were at growing up, I did not. Uh, we have deacons at this church and our deacons serve the congregation in myriad number of ways, but they don't really uh, vote on anything. They don't have any power. They simply serve. But then we have elders who are shepherds, overseers, and and the elders, of which I am one, uh, we kind of make most of the decisions of the church and help lead us and guide us. It is a biblical model. Uh, It's a very healthy model. Uh, I I love the model that that, that was here when I got here, and I love that we get to continue it and follow after it. Uh, But at different times, elders will roll off and roll on, and we have three elders rolling off, uh, and we are going to have three nominees to roll on. So uh, these uh, three men, Tony Bell, Rob Solosi, and uh, David Watson uh, have been tested. We have been praying with them, talking about them. We gave them an extensive test. We had an elder council this week to walk them through. Uh, And after a lot of prayer and hearing comments uh, from you and questions and concerns, uh, and after praying this through, we are ready now to make an official motion to bring these before you uh, with unanimous consent of the elders uh, to be considered as elders of the church. Uh, And so in two weeks, we'll be having a short business meeting right in here uh, to vote on them. So if you have any additional questions or concerns, please bring those to us. But I hope that you'll be praying uh, for these men as well. They get ready to kind of step up into this role. It's this an incredibly important role for our congregation. Uh, and honestly, an incredibly important role for me. So I've got help uh, on the elder board to continue to lead and to serve. So we'll be voting on these three men. We will also be voting on a candidate from the Chelsea campus. They're in a, a similar process there. We share an elder board right now between the two campuses. Uh, and so they have brought forward the name of Ben DeLoach, uh, and we're going to defer to whatever vote that they have on on their elder candidates, and they're going to be deferring to our vote on our three elder candidates here at this campus. Uh, But if you have any questions about that whatsoever, you can talk to any of the elders, you can email us, you can come talk to me, we'll be glad to answer those, but in two weeks, we'll be voting on that, Uh, and I am very excited for these men to come and join the board uh, and all the work that God has in store for us in the coming years. Uh, But now grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, uh, verses 34 and 35 is where we're going to be. John chapter 13, that's the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John uh, chapter 13, verse 34. Hopefully you've got a copy of God's word there with you, or maybe a device. If not, feel free to look on with somebody else. They'll be happy to share. Uh, And if this is your first time with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're here at Double Oak Community Church here this morning. John chapter 13, verse 34 uh, is where we're going to be in just a moment. While you're turning there, let me ask you an odd question. Uh, When was the last time you saw uh, a surprising act of love? When was the last time you saw a surprising 
act of love? It's a little bit of an odd question because typically when we talk about love, we don't start with actions. We start with feelings. Uh, We like to talk about, say, I love this. This was amazing. We're instantly talking about our feelings, how we feel about something. We talk about falling in love or being in love. When we talk about love, we most naturally gravitate to how we feel about someone or something. But when was the last time, instead of having the feeling first, you saw the action first, and that just kind of surprised you? It can happen in a lot of different ways. Maybe somebody stood up for you unexpectedly at your school or, or in your job or, or in your neighborhood, but somebody took a stand for you and you just didn't expect it, that somebody else would, would put their life or reputation or, or, or just time on the line to help you. You just didn't see it coming, but clearly they care for you if they're willing to do such a thing. Maybe you feel this as a parent. And as you continue to parent, you begin to reflect back on your own parents. And as you make sacrifices for your children, you begin to realize just how much your parents really sacrificed for you. You knew they loved you, but you didn't know the half of it until you became a parent yourself. And now you begin to see it and realize, wow, they, they did so much more than what I actually knew about. Uh, maybe you have found this just um, uh, well, just experiencing just a different love from different people. Somebody who gave you an unexpected gift. You found yourself humbled. You didn't expect it. You, you weren't looking for it. But out of nowhere, somebody gives you just this incredible gift that you know you do not deserve. But this person says, hey, I, I just I love you. I wanted to honor you and I wanted to give this to you. There's a lot of different experiences in life where you realize, wow, there's love there and I didn't see it before. But if love is actual love, it is real love, it is not simply something that's going to be felt. It is something that's going to be shown. True love cannot simply exist on the inside. True love always has to be expressed on the outside. It must be visible. And this is something that God wants to cultivate in all of us. Over the uh, last week, we started a a process really asking the question, who are we supposed to be as a congregation? Uh, What are we, what are we supposed to be like? If God is bringing this group of people here at this point in time, what does he want us to be? What are the marks that he, that it wants to define this congregation? And we said, there are three of those. We're to be a biblical community. Uh, We're to be a loving community and we're to be a serving community. That's a biblical community. A loving community and a serving community. Last week, we talked about being a biblical community. That we are based on the words, the teachings of Jesus Christ. He defines us. His teachings define us. And so we we want the word of God to dwell in us richly. But this week, we want to look at being a loving community. What does it mean for us to be a loving community? That's why we find ourselves in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Just a little bit of context here. Jesus is in the last night before the crucifixion. He is spending his last night. The Lord's Supper is going to happen during this night. But he has an extended time of teaching with his disciples. as recorded here towards the end of John. But listen to what Jesus says. One of those profound things he has said. Chapter 13, verse 34 says this. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
If that is not underlined there in your scriptures, highlighted somewhere, you need to underline that. These words literally ought to be transformative for not just us as individuals, but really us as a congregation. It is worth meditating on. We're just really marinating in. What does Jesus mean by this statement? And so let's break this down and see what he says. First off, he says, a new commandment I give to you. This is important. Jesus is commanding them to do something. He's not suggesting it. He he is not hoping that they do something. He says, no, I'm your savior, your master, your Lord. I command you, you are to love one another. This is not optional. In fact, this is foundational. Somebody asked Jesus one time, what are the two greatest commandments in all the scriptures? He said, there's two of them. The first is love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's the second. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the entire law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament is summed up in these two things. You cannot be a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, and ignore this command. So we are to love God with all of our heart. But here he's saying, I am commanding you. I want you to love one another, whether you feel like it or not, whether you're ready for that or not. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we are commanded to love one another. But look what he says next. He says, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. In the same way that I have loved you, that's how you're supposed to love one another. So this love that we're supposed to have with one another, it doesn't start with us. We don't have to drum it up from the inside. Instead, it starts with the love of God. Everything starts with the love of God, with the God who is love. He says, don't try this on your own. Instead, start with my love for you. This week has been going through my quiet times. The Lord's just been drawing me back to, to his love for me. And, and anytime you find yourself diving into the love of God, the joy of joys is that you'll find it is an inexhaustible well. There's not a soul in here, myself included, who truly understands the depths of the knowledge of God you, or, the, or the love of God. You, you can't possibly understand all of it. His love for us is so vast, so deep, so overwhelming, you cannot get to the end of it. I was reminded of an old hymn. Uh, I love this. This is actually a hymn that's over 100 years old. Uh, it's simply called The Love of God. Uh, but this is one of the, the, the verses. Listen to what it says. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and everyone a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drink the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. If the entire just expanse of the oceans were an inkwell and the entire sky were a piece of paper, you would drink the ocean dry trying to write out and describe the vastness of the love of God and you still couldn't get to all of it. Oh, the greatness and the glory and the grandeur of the love of God. Just think for a moment how much he gives to us. Have you meditated lately just on what he gives to us? Look at our lives, how incredibly blessed we are. How over and abundantly blessed we are with things we do not deserve. All that we have in this life, every good and perfect gift is from above. All of this is gift. Do you recognize the the goodness of God and all that he has given to us? We ought to be continually thankful for all that he has done. But it's not just what he gives, but also what he forgives in us. If you're not impressed by what the Lord has given you, just think about what he kept from us. 
He said, listen, I have overlooked all of your sin. I have forgiven every indiscretion. Every time you sinned, every time you voluntarily turned away from me, every time you rebelled against me, every time you refrained from doing you were what you were supposed to do, all the punishment for this, I have taken all of it. Why? Out of his unbelievably immense love for you. Look, if that doesn't move you in some way, shape or form, you do not understand the love of God. Delve in. Or even worse, it means that you've never experienced the love of God. You've never drunk deeply of that well to recognize that no matter who you are, God loves you. No matter what you've done. The God of the universe knows your name and he loves you. You might say he shouldn't, but he does. He's proven it. And he has lavished his love upon us. Before we ever get to loving one another, we have to start with the love of God that he has just poured out onto us. This is the immense, incredible love of God. I implore you. I beg of you just to ask the Lord, would you show me more of your love for me? Would you help me to understand your love for me and see what he will do? It will transform your life just as I have loved you. And then he gives us the command. You are to love one another. Now put that sentence together. Just as I have loved you, that's how you are to love one another. Do you see the impossibility of that command? He's not simply saying, try loving people or love people a little bit. He says, no, here's the standard. With the same measure that I pour out my love on you, I want you, therefore, to love one another. This is how you are supposed to love. With the same kind of blessing, with the same kind of forgiveness, with the same kind of grace and an overabundant giving that I give to you. That's how I want you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. When you you look at that and say, "Ah, that is impossible, you would be correct. That is impossible. I cannot do that. You cannot do that. What God is asking is quite literally impossible unless we are drinking in so much of the love of God that he pours out literally his own love through us into other people. When I live in the love of God, he enables us to love other people just like he loves us. But the last line is the most important. He says, by this, verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you're taking score, that's three times in two verses. He said, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. He'll say it more before he's done this night. But here's what he says. This is how everybody's going to know you're Christians. This is the defining mark of a Christian community is how you interact with one another. It's how you treat one another. Here's how people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When you and I look around at other churches, it is easy to be impressed by worldly things. We we might be impressed by their incredible or impressive buildings. 
We might be impressed by their size or the numbers of people who were there. We might be impressed by the intensity of their worship. We might be impressed by by the level and the depths of their giving and their service to other people or or giving and service all around the world. And, And all of those things are great, but Jesus doesn't count any of those as truly impressive. He says, here is the mark I'm looking for in my community. It is this. Are you a loving community? Do you love one another Like I love you. This is the community he wants us to be. As the question we got to ask ourselves is, is how do we do that? Will we do that? If this is the place that God is calling you to have a spiritual home in this season of your life, right here, right now, with these very people in the room, the people you're sitting next to, uh, the people who are in the room right now, the ones coming in the next service, Are we willing to say, hey, I want to learn to love my brothers and sisters in the same way that God loves me? To see some examples of this, we have both positive and negative examples in Scripture. Uh, To see a positive example, you can go to Acts. We did this last week. When you look at Acts chapter 2, you see the birth of the church. We spend some time looking at that passage. The Holy Spirit comes. uh, Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 people get saved. It's impressive. Thousands more will join in the first few months of the church. They were up to 5,000 in in no time at all. Last week, we looked also at the fact that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. That's the first thing they did. They were a biblical community. Even though they didn't have a written Bible, they had the living Bible of the apostles, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. But if you read the rest of that passage, you'll see other things. They broke bread in each other's homes. They hung out almost daily in the temple together. They worshiped together. They sold their stuff and then made sure there was money to give to people in need to provide for one another. They then shared whatever they had. They said, I don't count it as mine. Anybody can, can share or use whatever I have. They're doing all these things together. Honestly, that's more impressive to me than the numbers. 5,000 people is pretty impressive, isn't it? 5,000 people in a couple months, that'd be impressive. But more impressive is that these people who didn't really know each other before this are spending all this time Together, they are loving one another. They are serving one another as they devote themselves to the apostles teaching, but they're doing this together. This is not a solitary enterprise. They're doing this together. Now, look, I don't want to idealize the, the Acts church. If you read the rest of Acts, you'll find out it ain't perfect. All right. There are issues. Problems arise. It is not idyllic, all right? So just don't assume that you can have a church and everything just goes fine without any bumps along the road. If it's got people in it, there's going to be bumps. That's just the way things go. And that was true in Acts just as much as it's true for us in any other church. But, but it is an excellent example of what happens when the Spirit is at work. They're not only a biblical community, they are a loving community. You see a negative example in the Corinthian church. You see, after the gospel goes forth into the world, God begins to plant churches, not just in Israel, but all into the Gentile world as well. And the church is planted in Corinth. They're not just simply Jewish believers here, but they're Gentile believers here as well. And the Corinthians were very proud of their church. I don't know what size their church was, but I imagine they had a good number of people. And they were very proud of what God was doing in their midst. 
Not simply because of their size, but because of their charismatic worship services. I mean, they were electric, the things that were going on in their worship services. They were very proud of their knowledge, their knowledge of the scriptures and their knowledge of Jesus. They were very proud of some of the things that they were doing and how they were giving and serving. And so they looked at their church on Sundays and said, we are awesome. We are incredible. We must be the kind of church that God wants us to be. And on Sundays, everything looked awesome. On Tuesdays, not so much. If you showed up to any of those people and hung out with them on a Tuesday, it didn't look all that great. Paul writes this whole letter, kind of, kind of walking out the things and the problems in this congregation. Here's what you would find on a Tuesday or a Wednesday in the Corinthian church. You'd find church members suing each other. Can't, can't figure it out. Can't, can't, can't come to an agreement. They're going to sue one another right there in the church. You've got rich people who are oppressing poor people, just ignoring them. Don't care. Deal with it on your own. Worked out for me. Sorry, it didn't work out for you. You got people taking care of themselves, but not thinking about others. They're saying, hey, you can do things on your own time, but I'm just going to do what I need on, on my own time. There's people being rude to other people. There's sin that's going unchecked in the congregation. There are factions in the congregation. They're super proud of all the cool names and the people who have come through the Corinthian church that they're associated with. But now people are going, no, 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 my guy's better than your guy. Now there's all this animosity and these factions between different groups in the church. I'm talking about Christians here. There's sin, there's rudeness, there, there's, there's animosity, there, there's rancor. This is a group of believers. And so Paul writes this letter to them to try to correct them, to help them see what love is actually like. And look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. He tells them this. He says, look, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I've got the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body over to hardship, then I may boast, but I don't have love. I gain nothing. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, it doesn't matter all these things that you pride yourself on, your, your knowledge and your service and, your, and your, your charismatic worship, all of those things are fine. They're great. They can honor the Lord. But if you don't truly love one another, it is all for naught. If you have all of these impressive things, but there's not actual love for one another, it does not matter. That's hard, isn't it? Because I'll be honest, I get impressed by those things, don't you? It's easy to get impressed by the buildings or the numbers or the super cool worship services or, 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 or the, the, the ways that people can give or mobilize and do all these things. It's, it's, it's easy to be impressed by that and just to assume, I guess it's all great. And what the Lord's trying to tell us is like, listen, those, those things are fine. They're, they're, they're wonderful. But without love as the foundation, it's not going to last. And so Paul tells them what love is actually like. And you'll notice as you read this, it's a very famous passage. Many of you are familiar with it. You'll notice that it's not all about feelings. It's going to be mostly about actions. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, many of us are familiar with this passage because we typically hear this passage at a wedding. Yeah, and you might have heard it at your wedding. I've done many weddings where this is a passage that we go to, but look at the original context. Paul wasn't talking simply to man and wife. He's talking to a church. He says, this is how we're supposed to love, not just our spouses. This is how you're supposed to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the love that ought to be in evidence among us. And so what would that look like? If you took this passage and you really tried to flesh it out and into real life actions, real things that we're supposed to do to, in real time between brothers and sisters in Christ, what would that look like? And for that, we can look to a third example. We can look to the Colossian church. There's a Christian church at Colossae as well. Uh, Paul didn't actually start this church, but he is aware of it. And so he writes a letter to them as well. We looked at this passage last week. Where we talked about the word dwelling in us richly. But I want to expand the passage and show you even more of that context this week. And look at what he says. This is Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now look, I know, long passage You can go back and look at this and really begin to delve in. But there's so much here where the Lord is saying, this is how you walk this out. This is how you love, not simply with feelings, but with actions. This is how you love one another. This is how you take care of one another. This is how you you grow in my name. It's when in real time, in real ways, with real people, we choose to truly love one another. So very quickly this morning, I just want to give you five things, five ways that we can begin to do this as a congregation. And and clearly we're not beginning these things. I I see these things in evidence already, but as we continue to rebuild our community and we strengthen relationships and we make new relationships, we're going to have to look for new ways to live all of these out. And if you're new to the congregation, 
These are going to be things that we're going to be expecting of all of us. This is how we learn together to love one another. And so the first thing that we can do is this. We can build a, a, a loving community by seeking unity with one another. By seeking unity with one another. In verse 14 of Colossians 3, he talks about uh, being in harmony with one another. In verse 15, he talks about letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. If you read the, the, the letter to the Ephesians, you'll find that most of that letter is all about unity. In, in John, back in that same conversation that on the last night before his crucifixion, he'll talk about his church and says, I pray that they will be perfectly one. What God wants for his people is that we would be unified in him. One of the marks of a Christian church is that we'd be unified in love. Now, look, that's a tall order today, is it not? I have never lived during my lifetime in a more divisive time than this. Have you? I have never seen a culture more stratified and more, more, more angry at one another than I have seen it today. In almost every single area of life, in all of our conversations, uh, it, it is all becoming an us versus them game. When we read the news, when we talk to other people, all of a sudden, we're all trying to figure out who's on my team and who's not. Who's with me and who's not. Oh, you believe that? Well, then you must not be on my team anymore. And instead of finding ways to unify together, we just keep whittling down who we are until finally it's just you and a couple others. And we're all just against everybody else. If somebody doesn't line up with you exactly on every single thing that you believe, they cannot be trusted. They must be somewhere else. They, are, they must be on the other side, and I must be leery and suspicious of them. And instead of seeking unity, what we find is just a fractioning, a fractioning of the church, a, a splintering of our congregation. Listen, there are a few things as believers we cannot disagree about. There are some things we got to all agree on that we, we, we're not going to brook any dissent. Things like the fact that there is a God who made everything, that you and I are sinners and we cannot save ourselves, that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And that when he came, he lived a sinless life, died on the cross, not for his own sins, but for mine, for ours. And salvation is found not in my works, but by putting my faith in what Jesus Christ has already done. He is the only way of salvation. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we will experience eternal life with him forever. That is non-negotiable. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we must agree on these things. And look, there are some other things as well, but it's not everything. There are places where Christians can disagree. You know that, right? There are things, you said, well, I know we do a lot. <laughs> Why you got so many denominations out there, right? Look, I'm not angry at denominations. I don't honestly think it's all that bad of a thing. There's places as we work this through and trying to understand, there's going to be places we might have disagreements as long as we are in agreement about the gospel. We're in agreement about the Lord. We surrender to him. There's going to be room to disagree about some other more minor issues, which means there's going to be diversity in the church and there should be. Are you ready to welcome people who might not believe down to the end exactly what you do? Or do you kick them out as soon as there's any sort of dissent, any sort of deviation? We cannot have the unity of God's people if we demand that everybody pass a, a 4,000 statement uh, list before you walk in the door. Jesus doesn't do that. 
which means we shouldn't either. Instead, we ought to be seeking for the unity of the church, seeking to preserve the unity of the church. If you find yourself looking with a leery eye, a suspicious eye at other people in the congregation, you need to ask yourself, why? Why is that? Why would I not start by thinking positively of saying, these are my brothers and sisters. Let me assume the best, not assume the worst. Let me go talk to them. Let me go learn of them. Let me, let me, let me interact with them that I might preserve the unity of the congregation. This is the one of the ways that we love one another. Second way we can do this is by bearing with one another. I love this phrase in verse 13. He says, bear with one another. It's an honest statement, Right? When you hear about love in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, right? It, it, doesn't, it's not, it doesn't boast, it's not rude. In Colossians, you get this, you're going to have to bear with some people. Because that's not fun, is it? Look, when you love somebody, you're going to find out. There's days when that's easy and there's days when it's not. If you don't believe that, get married, all right? Because when you get married, you will find that there are days when it is the easiest thing in the universe to love your spouse. They are the most incredible person who has ever lived. And then there's that day when you wake up and go, uh uh-uh, oh no. And I can't, I can't leave. I'm with this person, right? And you go, I have to bear with you. That is hard. Here's a hard and terrible truth. Everybody here has got issues. Did you know that? If you believe that you do not have any issues, you are a liar. Wake up. If you think you're the only one, I got great news. You're not. Welcome to the team. Because every single one of us here is in a process of growth. We are becoming and no one here is there yet. Not one of us here, myself included, we have not arrived, which means we're not going to get it right 100% of the time. I'm not, you're not, which means as we live together, we're all going to make mistakes and that's uncomfortable. And if there's going to be real love, it means that we don't bail at the first moment where it gets uncomfortable. Instead, we bear with. And we said, that's not fun, but, but I'm here. Let me ask you a question. When you find yourself in an uncomfortable situation in a community group or somebody else in the church, what do you do? Do you bear with that person? Or is your first instinct out? New community group, out. New church, out. Don't like it anymore. Look, I'm here for me. I want this to be helpful for me. This isn't helpful. This is hard. I came for easy. I need this to be easy. Love is not easy. It was not easy for the Lord. You know that the Lord bears with us, right? I know he bears with me. I know you bear with me. You know that, right? I get it. I do, all right? I get it that you have to bear with me sometimes. I get, I'm a lot. I know. All right. Can I tell you something? Sometimes you are too. All right. I just got to be honest. Okay. You know who you are. All right, look. No, you don't. I mean, look, I mean, here's the thing. Look, this is life. This is love together. Look, you're going to have to bear with one another. When things get hard or difficult or uncomfortable, we don't instantly bail. We do our best to say, no, man, how can I bear with this person in love? That God might transform them, that God might transform us, that we might grow to become more like Christ. True love, it's not always going to be easy. I'm not going to feel like it, but I have to learn to bear with one another. Here's the third thing that we can do. We can forgive one another. You build a loving community by forgiving one another. In that same verse where it says, bearing with one another, it says, and if any of you has a complaint against somebody else, you need to forgive one another. A loving community is a forgiving community. Uh, Now, look, 
I need to be real clear here. Um, there are some of you in this room, and I know some of you. I know a lot of your story. I don't know all of it. And there's others I don't know at all. But I know there's people in this room who've experienced some significant church hurt in your past. You were at a church, and, and I know some of the specifics of these stories, and terrible things occurred, things that should never have occurred uh, in a church of Jesus Christ. And honestly, I, I, if you're here today, I'm just glad you're here. For many people, they just say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming back. The fact that you're even here shows how God is beginning to heal your heart, that you can actually be here in the midst of it. And praise God for that. And, and let me just say, uh, on behalf of brothers and sisters that I don't know, I, I, I'm so sorry for what happened to you because nothing like that should ever have occurred in a church of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that the Lord is, is helping you to heal. And I pray that we can be a part of that process. But, but I need to be honest with some others of us in this room because there are others of us in this room uh, and we've also experienced some uncomfortability in church, but it doesn't, does not rise to the level of the things I was just talking about. But sometimes we, we try to treat it that way. It, it, this isn't church hurt. You just got your feelings hurt. Or, or somebody said something you didn't like. Or they changed something that you didn't want changed. Or somebody said something, you just took it some way and it, was, it just came out wrong and you just wrote that person off. And relationships were broken. Sometimes your relationship with the entire congregation was broken. And can I just encourage you to do this? Listen, there are going to be times that we're, we're not going to get it right. We're going to be hurt by one another because we're not perfect. But when that happens, we have to be able to forgive one another. Do you see where true love is, is kicking in here? You're not going to find this out in the world. If you cross the world, you are canceled. You cross the world, they are done with you. No redemption. They talk about love and they talk a good game. You don't do what they want to do. They are done with you in a moment. You know what marks a Christian community? It's not that we're perfect. We won't be. It's that when we make mistakes, we can actually admit them and then actually show forgiveness. And we can actually move on together. I wonder if some of you are, are keeping everybody at arm's length because you're still holding on to a grudge. You're still holding on to a hurt. And what if God's wanting to heal that so you can be connected to the people of God? It's going to require forgiveness. And you say, Adam, I can't do that. You don't know what happened to me. I don't. Adam, I will never forgive this person. Careful now. Careful. Because remember that we're all forgiven people in this room. Nobody has earned their place in this room. Every single one of us is forgiven when we don't deserve it by Jesus Christ. And if we have been so forgiven, we must learn how to extend that forgiveness to others. True love is hard, but this is how you build a loving community. When they see something, the world sees something different in us than what they see out there. We can become a loving community by forgiving one another. Here's the fourth thing we can do. We can make sacrifices for one another. You build a loving community by making sacrifices for one another. If we're going to love one another, it's actually going to cost us. There's a price tag involved in loving somebody else. If you would like to know what that's like, become a parent. Because when you become a parent, you realize very quickly, hey, you're going to have to make sacrifices for your children. You would like to do things like sleep and you don't get to do that anymore. 
you would like to have money to spend on yourself. And a lot of that's not going to happen anymore. You're going to spend that on your kids. You would like to have time to spend for yourself. And you don't have as much of that anymore. You're going to spend that on your children. But you do this joyously. You do this because you want to. Why? Because these are your children. You make sacrifices for those that you love. And the Lord says, listen, we're going to have to do the same thing. We're going to have to make sacrifices for those who are in this congregation. You say, yeah, but Adam, these people aren't my children. These people aren't my family. But actually they are. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me show you one more passage. This is just a few verses down from our original passage. If you're there in John 13, just a few verses down in John 15, we're in the same night. Jesus is in the same situation. He's going to reiterate what he said, just in case they forgot a few minutes ago. He's going to say it again. Listen to what Jesus says. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. For you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. I find it interesting in this passage, not only that he repeats himself, but he uses the term friends, not disciples, not even children. I kind of expected children here. He says, no, friends. I call you my friends. Greater love is no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. This is what God calls us to do in the church of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to call you to lay down your life for one another. Now, good news and bad news with that. The good news is this. Almost nobody in this room, and I pray that nobody in this room, will ever actually be called to physically lay down your life for somebody in this room, like Jesus did. Jesus died the next day. I don't think that's actually going to be required of anybody in the room. That's the good news. The bad news is this. It is going to require a sacrifice on our part of other things. It's going to require sacrifices of our time, of our opportunity, Sometimes our money, where we say, I want to give for others in the congregation, for other people in the kingdom of God. Look, if you want to really love the people in this room, it's going to take time. And time is precious, is it not? We got people all over the economic spectrum in this room, but everybody gets the same amount of time. Everybody just gets 24 hours and it is precious because we are busy. We got so much going on. And if you spend time with one group of people or one person, that by necessity means you're not spending that time with somebody else. Here's what we got to understand. You can't spend time with everybody. You can't please everybody. You can't help everybody. And you can't do everything. You can't stop trying. It is impossible, which means you got to make priority calls then where is my time best spent? You say, Adam, that's going to be with my family. Great call. That's a great first start. Where do we go next? And what the Lord is saying this is that I want you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's going to mean time. If you want to build meaningful relationships, it's going to take time. Look, if you're new here and you're thinking about whether to land here at Double Oak, let me just go ahead and tell you a couple of real facts. Uh, if you would like to come here once a month for the next year, that means you're going to be here 12 times over the course of the next 12 months. At the end of this year, you're still not going to feel very connected to this congregation. You're not. You cannot do that in 12 meetings once a month. You cannot do that. You want to up that to three or four times a month. Not just on Sundays, maybe in a Bible study, a community group. You get up into 36, 48 meetings a month. Guess what? Within a year, you're going to feel real connected. Because you'll know people. And they'll know you. 
They'll have more opportunity to love you and you'll have more opportunity to love them and you will feel more knit together. But it will require time on your part. Not just to be sporadic, not simply to come when I feel like it, but to say, no, this is where God is calling me. I'm going to give of my time. You're going to give up opportunities. Opportunities to do other things, to say, yes, I'm going to spend time in this Bible study, time with these men and women. I'm going to spend time with this church. We don't like that. We don't like to cut off opportunities, do we not? Our whole culture is, is, is paralyzed by FOMO, the fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out on anything. And so, so I'm, I'm just waiting on things. I heard a new acronym this week in a different article about Gen Z. It's FOBO, the fear of better options. Isn't that great? He said, that's really what I'm looking for is Adam. I can't commit to you just in case something better comes along, which is why whenever we ask you to RSVP for things, you wait until like two days before. Don't think we didn't notice. I'm talking to all you men who hadn't signed up for the men's retreat. Sign up now. But but I got to see if there's better options. This is the option. Why? Because you've been commanded by your savior to love one another. Which means I don't wait, I commit. It's a sacrifice. Yes, that's what love is. It's a sacrifice. We make sacrifices for one another. Here's the final thing. We take care of one another. I I, I could go on and on about this, but we take care of one another. Let me ask a question. Whose job is it to love the people in this congregation? You say, Adam, that is your job. You are the pastor. You are correct. That is my job. Who else? Uh, let's go with Kelly. Kelly Stevenson, our care pastor. He's got care right there in his job description. Let's say Kelly. Correct. Kelly. Who else? All right. Uh, pastors. That's a shepherding role. Let's say all the pastors on staff. Correct. That's true. Who else? That's it. Right? Wrong. There is no way in this universe that one, two, or ten people can love the hundreds of people in this congregation. There is no way you make that math work. You can try all you want. I have tried all I want. There is no way you make that math work. Do you know how we love each other fully as a congregation? That doesn't come with one person or two people or 10 people. It happens when all of us love one another. Don't wait for somebody else to just love somebody. If somebody hadn't come to your community group in two weeks, don't wait for your community group leader to call them. You call them. If a name comes to mind, don't assume that somebody else is praying for them. You pray for them. If you see a need in the church, don't call the church and say, hey, why don't y'all, y'all do that? You go meet the need. Grab some people that you know. Grab some community group members and, and just go meet the need. The only way we're really going to love one another is when we all accept the responsibility of loving one another. Take a meal to somebody. Talk to them. Text them, take them to coffee, encourage them, pray for them. When we all take care of one another, remember what Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how you become a loving community. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. We're going to close out in a song of worship. But I wonder if just even now you might be sensing a call from the Lord just to say it's time we got serious. To not just be here, to not dance around on the periphery, not to, to hold on to the attender status, but, but to say, no, no, God's calling me here. I'm ready to have real relationships with my brothers and sisters.
Maybe it's, it's forgiving somebody. Maybe it's accepting a, a role of leadership. Maybe it's maybe it's stepping up, just being a part of a community group. But, but what if today is the day we said, whether I feel like it or not, I want to obey the Lord's command to live so much in his love that I could not help but love my brothers and sisters, to love them the way he loves me. Could you open up your heart and just ask him what that might look like for you? Just ask him. He'll show you. I guarantee you he'll show you. Just ask him and see what he says. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for this whole community. I watched you do so many incredible things through them over the years. Lord, you're doing something new in us with, with this group of people right here and right now. But Lord, we cannot do it unless we, we abide in you, obey you, unless we're unified in love for you. And so would you bind us together? God, just, just turbocharge relationships. God, I, I pray you would just, just fast track. God, drawing us to one another. Open up our eyes to see the needs and show us ways we can act in love towards one another that you may be glorified, Lord, that they may be edified, that the, the, the world, Father, may be evangelized, that they would see that you're real. God, I cannot wait to see what you're going to do through us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand up with you if you will. Let's sing the song of worship together.